Welcome back to Scriptures with Momentary. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger, and we are going to be covering the Matthew 13, Luke 8, and Luke 13. And it's the parable of the sower. Okay, really quick before we dive right in, um, I just wanted to share a little tip that the redheaded hostess puts in here. Um, she said that to change the feeling of overwhelm to the feeling of urgency, uh, because she taught seminary for 13 years and every day she needed to have a lesson ready. So sometimes as parents, it feels overwhelming to try and plan a lesson every day, right? For your kids or even just once a week for family home But, um, this is, this is the one tip that she gives, and I think it's great, so I wanted to share it. She says, before I sat down to plan a lesson, I first studied the chapters so that I would fall in love with the story. And I love that because it also reinforces the scripture that, um, that says, uh, seek to obtain my word, seek first to obtain my word. And I can't remember what the rest of it is, but it's basically like learn it first and then you can teach it. Um, and it makes complete sense. Like there's no way that I can teach something I don't even know. Um, and so this would change her urgency or this would change her overwhelm to like an urgency for the youth to learn the story because she loves it too, an urgency because she could see how much the story would bless their lives, an urgency to help them see how relevant the story is to their own lives, and an urgency to help them draw closer to Christ through the story. And so yesterday I shared a, my testimony at church and I talked about um, how we need to fill our bucket and, or how I need to fill my bucket and how Christ tells us he's our living water. And if we can sit still long enough, he will fill our bucket every single time. But if we're just always rushing around, our bucket is going to slosh around the water and our water is going to run, run out. And before we can even try and share that with anybody that we love. And so if we can keep our bucket full, then when we need to share our love and our excitement for the scriptures, it will be there to share with our kids. Um, and so, and, and they will feel the love of the scriptures and the love that we have for the Lord because we took time to fill our bucket. So that was, uh, just something I wanted to share. So we are going to get into it. Okay, so parables are, so this is the parable of the sower. So parables are typically like short stories that hold greater meaning. Um, also, like sometimes analogies could be parables. And Jesus is the master teacher because he knows how to touch the hearts of those who are ready to receive truth while also concealing those same truths from those who were unprepared or had ill intent. So as we get into this and as we start studying the parables, um, think about those truths that are 
kind of like little hidden gems in there to help you, okay? And then um, here's a quote from F. Frank Judd, and he talks about parables of Jesus in the end time. January 2003. Okay, I'm yawning and I'm walking, okay? So if that tells you anything, you know. Okay, Jesus Christ was, this is what he said. Jesus Christ was the greatest teacher who ever taught, declared President Spencer W. Kimball. One of the Savior's most striking teaching methods was his use of parables. Concerning the parables of Jesus, President Howard W. Hunter said, they are so simple a child can understand, yet profound enough for the sage and philosopher. Each of the parables spoken by the Savior seems to teach a principle or give an admonition regarding the attributes necessary to qualify for exaltation, end quote. Now, you might think, are you kidding? A child can't learn parables. Well, let me tell you, yesterday also during our fast and testimony meeting, Enzo from our primary, he is four years old or going to be turning four this year. So possibly three, or no, just kidding. He actually did turn four this year because he's CTR4. Anyway, he went up and shared his testimony, but his testimony was basically just the parable of the sower. <laughs> he went up there and explained what the, who the seed was, where it fell and what that meant, and eat, when the seed fell on different types of ground, what that meant. And I was like blown away that this little four-year-old could understand the parables. So if you think like your child can't learn, you're wrong <laughs> because they certainly can't. So just remember to tell them the stories of Jesus. Okay, so here we go. Um, so we'll start in Luke 8, and we're going to be kind of skipping through uh, some of the verses so that they line up. Okay. <clears throat> okay, Luke 8, 1 to 3. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout the, every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women, these are women who travel with Jesus and learn from him, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Okay, so these were certain women. And I always love that. Remember, I read the quote last time about the certain women. Here's some more. Okay. It says, uh, from the Daughters in My Kingdom book, page four, it says, Female disciples traveled with Jesus and the twelve, learning from Jesus spiritually and serving him temporally. In addition to receiving Jesus' ministry, ministering the glad tidings of the gospel and the blessings of his healing power. These women ministered to him, imparting their substance and devotion. Ooh, love that. And some scholars uh, suggest how unique it was that Jesus traveled with women. Rabbis did not typically teach women. It was men they taught and, and elevated. In fact, throughout the entire four Gospels, 
a woman is never mentioned as part as an expert in the law who became an enemy to Jesus. But Jesus regarded women differently. He had female disciples. So, ooh, love it. Um, and Luke mentions some of the women by name. We have Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. But there were also many others which ministered unto him of their substance. So, but this is like the first time that Mary Magdalene is mentioned in Luke's account. She was a woman from Magdala who was a part of Jesus' ministry until the end. She was at the cross and she was the first witness of the Savior's resurrection. And that's found in John chapter 20, 11 to 16. Mary is often represented as a reformed harlot. This is likely because uh, Luke seven thirty six to 50. A harlot washed Jesus's feet with her hair and scholars began to identify the harlot as Mary Magdalene, perhaps because Mary's name is mentioned at the beginning of Luke 8. However, there is no reason to make that assumption. So um, I remember when we were reading or when I was listening to the Talking Scriptures podcast, they also said that there was just some random person at some point early on in um, the years or whatever, who somehow it introduced Mary Magdalene as a harlot as well. And like, not sure why that is, um, but then they go on to explain that, that it's possible that she was not a harlot at all, and they explained the wording of of the seven devils could actually be translated to seven angels. And like, you'll have to go listen to it. <laughs> it's the Talking Scriptures podcast um, based on these exact scriptures. So just go and look that up. Um, but I, I like it because I didn't really ever like the idea of poor Mary being a harlot. And I never knew that when I thought that it was because somebody else, not um, in the scriptures, introduced that. And that has been handed down. I don't even, I don't even know how I know that, you know. Anyway, um, so I like I like the way that they translated the Greek words and it became um, something more holy and that Mary came out of like that holy place kind of thing. So anyways, again, you're going to have to go listen to that podcast because it was really good and it explained a lot. I just am really bad at explaining those things, but it's definitely something I'm going to need to study a little bit more if I want a better understanding of who Mary Magdalene was. So anyways, we also learn of a woman called Joanna and she's significant because her close closeness to Herod's court, which was likely why she was named in verse three, her husband being a steward to Herod would have been privy to a lot of information, would have witnessed many things. Perhaps it was through Joanna, the information about John's imprisonment and beheading were delivered 
In Mark 6.22, we learn of a moment when Herodias' daughter, wait, when Herodias' daughter came in and danced before Herod so that he was pleased and promised her anything she asked for. And that was when she asked for John the Baptist's head on a charger. And that's found in Mark 6, verse 25, which is really sad. It is possible that this information was preserved through Joanna, whose husband would have witnessed it or heard it from others who worked in the palace. So that's kind of sad. But if this is the case, Joanna's influence had given knowledge to Christians for centuries. So, anyways, okay, so here we go. The parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 1 to 8. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So, you guys remember this when we were watching this in The Chosen? And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, <clears throat> a sower went forth to sow, which means plant seed. And a sower is somebody who is planting seed. <sighs> and this is ground one. And when he sowed some seeds, or when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. So this is like from hardened ground. So that's ground one. Ground two, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. Ground three, and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Ground four, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Okay, so those were the four grounds, and that was in Matthew, okay? Now we're going to read Luke, the same things, okay? So it's Luke 8, 4 to 8. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him, out of every city, he spake, a par he spake by, by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. Remember who the sower is? Somebody who plants seeds. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Hardened ground, right? Ground two, and some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. So the seed could not grow roots. Then ground three, some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Okay, and then ground four, and other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so Now we have something here. Okay, so multitudes continually followed Jesus, and he was known to separate himself from them by getting in a ship and preaching to them while they stood on the shore. While, he, while they stood on the shore, he would preach from the water. 
Okay, so ground one. So Matthew tells us about the first kind of ground that the seeds fell upon. Okay, so because the soil is hard, seeds are unable to take root in the soil and then become a plant. So instead they sit on top of the soil and then the birds just eat those seeds. Okay, the ground two, stony places. Um, so it's an area with a small layer of good soil, but then it's mostly rocks, right? So there, it's unable to sprout, or the seed is able to sprout, but it quickly will die because it can't grow deep roots. So the shallow roots do not provide strength that the plant needs, especially when the sun goes and hits them, they're gonna wither away. Then the third one, now that's where you like weeds to grow, right? Because then they're easy to pull out. Anyway, so thorns, the third ground is thorny. So it has good soil, but then when the plant grows, then it's choked by the thorns. So the seeds can take root, at, but will still not be strong enough to overcome the weeds, okay? And then the good ground is fertile soil. And if a seed is properly nourished in good ground, the seed will grow into a plant and bring forth fruit. I've always heard this, the, this parable and have um, likened it to my heart and how the seed, which is the word of God, uh, lands on my heart. How ready is my heart to receive the message of Christ? to receive the messages of Christ because he has lots, right? So am I going to be, is my heart going to be so solid that the birds just eat stuff? Or is it going to be kind of stony and rocky? Is it going to be broken? You know, I mean, sometimes then, or is it so bad that it's going to choke out anything because I'm bitter? I think that the third one is thorns is like when I'm bitter. And when I'm angry and don't want and, and want to be rebellious, right? But then ground four is like super awesome. Like ground two is the stony place. And I think sometimes when we're hurt, that's the one that we, that's the one that we don't like necessarily uh, do that one on purpose or can't, but we can't really tell sometimes that we're hurt. And so you have to get in there and really get to the, past the dirt or past the rocks and just get the dirt up so that you can prep the ground and get rid of all that junk so that you can have the good ground. And so there's all those things that we have, those obstacles that we have to work through in order for our heart to be ready to receive the seed that Christ gives us in his message, messages. Okay, and then we're gonna read Matthew 13, nine to 17. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So you must listen with spiritual ears, right? Okay, and this is why Jesus taught in parables. And the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. So parables conceal meaning for those not prepared to hear it. 
Therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seem not. Wait. Therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. And so this is Isaiah. So this is in, this is in Matthew, but it's also in Isaiah. It says, and in, because Jesus would quote Isaiah, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this, for this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are, ye, are your ears, your eyes, <laughs> sorry, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So you see and hear spiritually. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So many prophets look forward to this day. Um, looked forward to this day. When, so it was to fulfill prophecy. Okay. And then Luke 8, 9 to 10 says, And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said unto, and he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they may not, they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Okay, so, so Jesus was speaking in parables to uh, help fulfill a prophecy that was recorded in Isaiah 6, 9-10. And that prophecy was fulfilled in Isaiah's day. And G uh, in, that prophecy was fulfilled in Isaiah's day, Jesus's day, the Book of Mormon times, our day, and any time the gospel is on the earth. So this prophecy teaches that people can hear and they can see, but their spiritual ears and eyes are closed. And they cannot understand the truth if only they would choose to spiritually see they would repent and change and the lord could heal them so jesus praised the faithful for seeing with their spiritual eyes and hearing with their spiritual ears and then they are and they were extremely blessed but these disciples in this chapter were living in a time that all prophets have looked forward to and these disciples were witnessing it with their own eyes and ears so like they can literally see with their eyes and see with their spiritual eyes at the same time and ears and hear physically so man that would have been just awesome and sometimes we as humans don't like people talking in riddles or concealing messages for us and we're just like just tell us how it is just just tell it to us straight right But I guess if he tells it to us straight, then we can be held accountable for things that maybe we don't quite understand. And so I think the parables were supposed to help us um, so that we could learn line upon line. Every time we read a parable, we can apply it into our lives in a new way and learn something new and different every time we come back to it. Okay, here's a quote from Joseph, Joseph Fielding Smith. 
um, in the doctrines of salvation, he says, there are in the gospel such things as mysteries. A mystery is, of course, some truth which is not understood. All the principles of the gospel and all truth pertaining to the salvation of men are simple when understood. Until it is understood, however, a simple truth may not, or a simple truth may be a great mystery. Gospel truths appeal more to the spirit, that is, they are spiritually discerned. A man may know a thing to be true by the teaching of the spirit, but he may not be able to explain it to others. See, this is what I was trying to tell you about the other one about Mary Magdalene, about what I learned. And this may not be in keeping with the modern world, worldly teaching, but it is true nevertheless. So revelations through the spirit of the Lord many times cannot be explained. Although those people talking in scripture did a really good job. Um, the best educated man in the world may not be able to comprehend the simple truths of the gospel because his soul is not in tune so so yeah that's different right like these guys that i was listening to were in tune but anyways he has not been enlightened by the spirit of the lord he therefore fails to see and feel the significance of these principles they cannot be seen except through the touch of the holy ghost and now we're going to read the meaning of the parable of the sower matthew 13 18 to 23 hear ye therefore the parable of the sower so Jesus is explaining the meaning, but he doesn't always do that, I guess. Um, when any, verse 19, ground one, the wayside. When any one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word and Anon with joy received it. So he wants to receive the gospel truth. And then number, uh, numbers 21, so this is on second ground. Yet hath not, but yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. So it does not grow deep roots and the fragile testimony does not withstand the world. Okay, and then ground three, he also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. So testimony is able to grow, but is overcome by the world. And then the fourth ground, but he that receiveth the seed into good ground, into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So your testimony is nourished, grows, and bears fruit. So President Dallin H. Oaks, he says, what causes hearers to have no root in themselves? Spiritual food is necessary for spiritual survival, especially in a world that is moving away from belief in God and the absolutes of right and wrong in an age dominated by the internet, which magnifies messages that men menace faith. We must increase our exposure to spiritual truth in order to strengthen our faith and stay rooted in the gospel. Young people, if that teaching seems too general, here is a specific example. If the emblems of the sacrament are being passed 
and you are texting or whispering or playing video games or doing anything else to deny yourself essential spiritual food, you are severing your spiritual roots and moving yourself towards stony ground. You are making yourself vulnerable to withering away when you encounter tribulation like isolation, intimidation, or ridicule, and that applies to adults also. End quote. That was present on H. Oaks, April 2015 General Conference. Ooh. So I think that's so good. Um, okay, and then Luke 8, 11 to 15. Now the parable this is, is this, the seed is the word of God. Okay, verse 12. This is the, the ground says those by the wayside are they that hear them then wait those by the wayside are they that hear then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved so it never takes root in our chance to grow right then 13 they on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no root for which for a while, or which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, fall away. Verse 14, and that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring forth, and bring no fruit to, per, to perfection. So, that kind of makes me feel like, a little bit like, you're bringing forth some fruit, but you don't bring it to realization sometimes we get promptings from the lord but we don't follow through on those and i think that is maybe what that means too you know um that we're choked because we're we're getting stressed out we have too much anxiety we're doing too many things that um are not essential in our lives and therefore we're choking out the essential things in our lives um, there's a quote, and I can't remember what it is, but, uh, or who said it, but maybe it's just one of those Christian quotes. But they say that God, if, if you're too busy to say prayer, you're busier than God ever intended you to be, or something like that. <laughs> and it's so true, because Heavenly Father doesn't give us promptings to burden us, or to overwhelm us, or to make us super busy, but he gives us promptings to come closer to him, to fight back the adversary, to um, strengthen our families, to strengthen our community. And it's all about strengthening us and helping us become better. But if we are getting distracted by all the worldly things, then we can't bring forth what he's asked us to do. And so, um, Let's try and keep that in mind when we're, uh, you know, thinking about spending time with, with the Lord. Are we doing it so that we can uh, further establish a relationship with him? Or are we doing it just out of the fact that it's on a, our to-do list and we want to move on to all the other uh, cares and riches and pleasures of the life, Right. Because we need to bring forth his fruit to perfection. We need to bring forth his promptings to real life. Like I have this quote on my uh, things that I ship out to or deliver to my clients when they print things. And it says that their digital projects came 
look better in real life or something like that. What did I write? I don't even remember. Anyway, but that's what the Lord wants. He wants, he don't, he doesn't just want those ideas that um, he gives us those promptings, those, those things that he knows that will help us. He doesn't want those to just sit in our minds dormant. He also doesn't want them to sit in a bin dormant. Hello, Linda's half done projects bin. I think I have two of those actually. <laughs> anyway, um, he wants those to come to perfection, like to be completed, right? Because we know that the word perfect means whole um, and complete. And so it doesn't mean like perfect as in like no flaws. It just means like whole and complete. So he wants us to bring those to, to pass, bring them to pass in real life. And so that we can continue to progress. Um, and as we do that, our relationship strengthens because we're able to see that, hey, the Lord gave us an idea. We acted on it. And this is how it helped us. Right? You see the pattern. So, and then because it helped us, you know that the Lord is on your side. It's like a tried and true thing. Um, anyways, okay. Uh, ground, ground number four. Good ground. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Uh, that one's the hard one, right? So the good ground is awesome soil. I think they, he had to add the word patience in there because if you have super hard ground like we do here in Utah to plant literally anything, then you know that you have to work that ground so hard and get all the rocks out of the way and you got to get through the first layer which feels like just regular ground right that's the wayside then you have to get through the rocks and take all the rocks out of the ground and that's the ground the rocky ground and then you have to take the thorns out because weeds are going to grow there because you haven't done anything with the ground linda so of course there's weeds last year we paid um MD property management to come and take out all the weeds from our flower beds around our rental because it, there were just way too many and we were like overwhelmed by all the things we needed to do. Anyway, so of course there's no way we could plant anything in those because I mean, I could show you pictures. It looked like a forest just in that little area. And then there was like a full tree growing in some of the, uh, in a couple of the of the window wells. Yeah, pretty crazy. And so, of course, they're going to get choked out. Like anything that tries to grow is going to get choked out because there's absolutely no way things can grow in there because there's too many weeds. But you got to work it. And it says to bring forth fruit with patience. And so work the ground, right? Work it from level one to level two to level three to finally level four. And it is going to take patience. It's going to take a lot of uh, habits. It's going to take a lot of repetitiveness in order for your ground to get ready to receive the word and sometimes we get impatient right because we just want we just want to know everything all at once right we're like teenagers we want to know everything at once um just tell me just tell me what i gotta do <laughs> anyways um yeah so it's awesome to have that that ground. And I love that um, something talking scriptures told, or talking, yeah, talking scriptures to mention in their podcast, they said it wasn't that God said, or that the Lord said, 
any of those level one, two, or three grounds couldn't be changed to a level four ground. Um, he just said that those are the levels of the grounds that will not accept the seeds, the word of God. But it's of course possible to make any of those grounds finally be ready and be considered good ground for receiving the seed and the word. Okay, so now we're going to move on to the parable of the wheat and tares. So we're in Matthew 13, 24 to 30. It says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. So this is Jesus, um, who's the man, and the field is the world, okay? But while men slept, okay, so this is the death of the 12 apostles, his enemy, who's the enemy, Satan, came and sowed tares, so poisonous weeds or false doctrines, among the wheat and went his way. <clears throat> Remember, in the Book of Mormon, we know that Satan was cast here to earth, <laughs> which is sad and makes our life really hard, but it's part of the plan, right? So um, then, number 26, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the wheat and tares look the same when they are young plants. Ah, oh, man. This is why we all love little kids, right? Well, you know that one child that you were like, mm, I don't know about that guy. I'm just kidding. No, they're all awesome. Um, <laughs> but they, they really are. They're all young. They all look the same, and they're all young plants. 27. So the servants of the householder name, or came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it, hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them, because they look so similar. So 30, Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So first the tares. So he's going to say to the reapers. So the reapers are all the angels that are sent to reap. And then time of the harvest means the end of the world. And then the first of the tares is the wicked being destroyed. So we, let's see, I'm trying to remember. We'll have, to, we'll have to look at a picture of wheat and tares and like all of it together. But there's a way that you separate them because um, it feels right here. It feels like nearly impossible, right? Like if I, I really don't actually, since I don't know anything about uh, reaping wheat, like then to me, this feels like an impossible task. Luckily, we don't have to do it. And in fact, he says that he wants both of them to grow together because he doesn't want, and I love this part, he doesn't want a single one of the wheats to be destroyed with the tares. So he wants to make sure that none of the wheat, that are good wheat, will go 
down with the tears. And so he knows what's best. And he's the only one that can do this reaping. Because if we were to reap, we would end up losing the whole field. You know what I mean? Like the whole thing. Um, because I would be not sure how to do it since I have no idea. Maybe that would be like a fun activity to go and reap wheat. Um, that would be kind of fun. Anyway, so I love that he reserves that for himself because doesn't it feel overwhelming to try to do it yourself? Yeah, like there's no way. So I would totally accidentally get rid of some valuable wheat and, and he doesn't want that. So, so I love that he tells us to just let them grow together. And sometimes that's hard because we know some people in our lives are trying to pull us down and and it's hard work, but you gotta let them grow together because you never know. You never know when one of those tear things that look like a tear ends up being a wheat and you're like, oh my bad, right? Okay, so Matthew 13, 36 to 43, he now explains this. So he says, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So he, they wanted an explanation. Which makes sense because maybe they didn't understand it either, right? So he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. <laughs> I love how he like just nonchalantly like can just be like, oh yeah, let me, let me explain it to you real quick. Yeah, last night we were, um, Fausti was giving us our, giving us a lesson and he taught us about his um, parable of the chapstick. And he said that there were two peeps, one who put on chapstick and one who didn't. And the one who didn't put on the chapstick had dry lips and they were cracked and everything and it was really bad. But the other one who applied chapstick every day, no matter what the condition of the lips were, always had great lips and it was never chapped <laughs> and he said it's like when we put on our armor every day we're protected and if we don't then we're not protected and we're vulnerable to the fiery darts of the adversary and I was like he came up with that all by himself he said he was in the shower and it came his this idea came to him and I was like that's amazing and he's like, and I told him, I was like, it's your turn to give the family meeting. And so the next, this was, so I can't remember what day, but it was the day before he actually shared the family meeting lesson. And he, and when I told him it was his turn, he's like, oh, I'll share my parable, mom. I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> and it was so neat that he was able to share it. And, um, and then we were trying to, he, he had another parable kind of in the works, right? And he said, he was trying to tell it to us. And, and he's like, well, I can't, like, he didn't quite get stuff. And so we were trying to explain it. So it's, he said, Jesus comes up with those parables so fast. And, and he has so many of them. And, and 
I told him, I was like, well, I'm pretty sure he's like had time to work on them and things to make sure that it makes sense. Because although I'm pretty sure Christ could come up with parable on the spot for whoever, I do think that he did grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, but like slowly, just like we do. I mean, probably faster than we do, really. Um, but, you know, he always prayed to Heavenly Father and was always in tune with the Spirit. And so that was what made his abilities even more powerful because he was so in tune. And so that's kind of what um, this reminds me of, like, like, Jesus can explain it in literally four verses, less than a minute. And <laughs> everybody else was like, what? What is that parable? Wheat and tares, right? So anyways, um, I thought Fauci's, uh lesson was so cute. Um, and super, super relevant to our lives too, because like he's also knowing that the, that he's applying this to people and he's telling it to people who, it would make sense to. Why? Because I have super chap lips and I don't put on chapstick every day, but I need to. And he has super chap lips and he needs to put chapstick on every day too in order to keep it good. And so he was applying, he had a parable that applied to his life at the moment and that applied to other people's lives at the moment, um, at the moment that he shared it. And so that's just like Jesus, um, where he knows the audience that he's speaking to and knows what will make sense to them. Now, this parable of the wheat and tares, honestly, like they ha he has to explain that to me because I am not over there doing that. So if he were to come to me and give me parables, they would be different than the parables that are in the scriptures because, because of the fact that I do different things, right? <clears throat> and I'm not there. So anyways, I love that. It was so cool. Oh, and I need to post up Finn's talk. I wonder if I've already posted up Finn's talk on our podcast yet. Maybe not. So we'll, we'll need to do that. Okay. Um, verse 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire where shall where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. President Russell M. Nelson has said this about this, about the gathering of Israel and how it is the most important work. He says, the Lord is gathering those who are willing to let God prevail in their lives. The Lord is gathering those who will choose to let God be the most important influence in their lives. For centuries, prophets have foretold this gathering, and it is happening right now, as an essential prelude for the second coming of the Lord. It is the most important work in the world. This premillennial gathering is an individual saga of expanding faith and spiritual courage for millions of people. And as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or Latter-day Covenant Israel, we have been charged to assist the Lord with this pivotal work. When we speak of gathering Israel on both sides of the veil, we are referring, of course, to missionary, temple, and family history work. We are also referring to building faith and testimony in the hearts of those with whom we live, work, and serve. Anytime we do anything that helps anyone on either side of the veil to make, 
and keep their covenants with God, we are helping to gather Israel. End quote. Such a powerful talk he gave, October 2020 General Conference. It was the year of COVID. Can you believe that? And that same year, the missionaries were able to baptize so many more people, even though they couldn't be there, uh, even though they couldn't teach everyone in their homes the way that they had been used to. Uh, but it was because of the technology that had been prepared for them to be able to use, which President Nelson, by the way, you remember, is the one who first gave the idea to arm the missionaries with cell phones, <laughs> which I love. And I found out that found that out from Sister Sherry Dew. Anyway, okay, um, Matthew, oh, just kidding. We're on Luke 13, 1 to 9. Okay, this is the parable of the barren fig tree. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with, the sac with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or, the, or those eighteen upon whom the tower in... Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So here's the parable of the fig tree. He spoke also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree plant, planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I have, I, I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung, and dung it. And if I bear, and if it bear fruit, well, and if it, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Okay, so in verse one, it references like some tragedy involving some Galileans and Pilate. And we can determine because of Christ's response that those telling Christ of this story felt like the Galileans deserve the death that they received. But there is little detail in this verse. And there's no record that we know of about this event. So some scholars suggest that Pilate had some Galileans killed while they were in Jerusalem offering sacrifices. But then Jesus ask them if they assume that Galileans have sinned worse than other Galileans, and that is why they suffered these things. The answer, of course, is no. Jesus himself will be proof that the most righteous among us can suffer terrible things, and his apostles will also be evidence of that. The real issue is being ready. All need to repent, or they will also suffer. So this is true individually, but this is also true for the entire Jewish nation, who will revolt against Rome and in 70 AD, Rome will destroy much of Jerusalem, including Herod's temple. So then in verse 4 is another tragedy, which we have no record of. But the Jews likely knew well, Jesus asked, if they think that this death also came upon these 18 individuals because they sinned. Jesus then gave a parable of the barren fig tree to emphasize the importance of righteousness and seriousness that awaits individuals and groups that are unrepentant, especially if they are God's people, the Jews specifically. So yeah, I guess back in the day, 
people always thought that bad things happen to bad people. <laughs> Dude, how would that have been to live like that? Like these days, bad things happen to good people all the time. But you know, it is kind of interesting how sometimes we hear stories of thing, bad things happening and you know that they're good people and you're just like, but I don't understand how that could have happened to them, right? Or like LJ, for example, she had cancer, never smoked a cigarette a day in her life and she died of stage four lung cancer. And you're just like, what? That doesn't even make sense. She didn't even smoke, but she ended up with the consequence of pretend, like as if she had smoked her whole life or something. So it's, so bad things can happen to good people. And also sadly, good things always like seem to always happen to bad people, right? And I mean, we're all children of God, but some people who are doing and making bad choices seem to have good things happening to them. And you're like, man, maybe I need to do those bad things, right? But we know better. And we are held accountable to a different set of rules because, um, because we know the Lord. So hold on one second. Oh boy. Laura just spilled all her yogurt. Okay. Well, let's keep going. I'll have to throw away those chairs or something. Um, okay. So the parable of the barren fig tree. So this is a parable concerning the Jews in Christ's day. And it also teaches about what God looks for among his covenant people. He looks for fruit and those who need to repent. Otherwise, they will perish. So in this parable, a man has a fig tree in his vineyard. He goes out seeking fruit from the tree and finds none. The man speaks to the, to the dresser of the vineyard and tells him that for three years, he has expected fruit from the tree and found nothing. So he tells the dresser of the vineyard to cut the tree down. The tree is just taking up too much space water, nutrients from the ground, so just get rid of it, right? And the dresser of the vineyard asks for one more year with the tree because he will nourish and care for the tree during that year. And if it bears fruit, that would be well. But if it doesn't, then it will be cut down. So it's basically like um, the certain man is God. The fig tree is the Jewish people and the, or God's covenant people. The vineyard is the world. The fruit is righteousness, good works, faith. The dresser of the vineyard is Christ. These three years, so this is during Christ's ministry, and then the cut it down, destruction of the Jewish nation, and then cumbereth the ground was uh, part of one of the verses, which just means kind of like God's servants were spending time teaching the Jews who were not receiving it, the Jews were hindering the work that could be done among the rest of the world. And it's true, they were. They were, you know, all the Pharisees and Sadducees. and Those guys were always trying to trap people. Just like not on the Lord's side. There's that quote that I can't remember who said it. But in general conference, it's, he said, oh, and maybe it was Elder Cook. He said, who's on the Lord's side? Who? Right? And those people were not. So then... Um, Christ, so when he says, let it alone till I shall dig, Christ will try again, and he'll nurture them and try to convert them. And if it bear fruit well, so if the nation, like if they're productive and, you know, not hindering the work, the nation will be preserved. Otherwise, the nation will be destroyed. I feel like that's a good compromise, you know? So... 
but Jesus was just showing grace and mercy and but warning the Jews and giving them another chance to come unto him and so he's just kind of showing us how merciful he is I think with all these parables he shows that okay then Jesus heals a woman is the next parable this is in Luke 13 10 to 17 and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could no wise lift up herself. So her spine or bowed, bowed together. Her spine bowed over. So it's like maybe scoliosis or something. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work in them. Therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Dude, those guys with the healing and not healing and the Sabbath day and not Sabbath days. <laughs> Do I feel like sometimes we're like that, you know, and sometimes we teach our kids that way, but we're trying not to teach our kids that way. But it's hard because they like to watch YouTube. Things that are not bringing, they, well, I should say YouTube creators that are playing video games and doing things that are not bringing us closer to Christ in any way. And so, of course, mom's going to say, you can't watch that on Sunday. <laughs> I should, I don't even want to watching that on any day, let alone Sunday. Really, that's what it comes down to. And so... It's more like, please do me a favor and just don't watch that on Sunday, right? Like, find something to come closer to Christ on Sunday. But they don't really understand that either. So, you know, their generation has easy access to literally all videos of anybody on the planet. And so it's hard to be like, well, since they don't bring you closer to Christ, don't listen to that. You know, like, like that. Anyway, <clears throat> the Lord answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? So that means like loosen your beasts and lead them to drink, to get a drink. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond of this, on the Sabbath day? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him good you know because like yeah we can definitely heal on the sabbath day in fact that's the day when people like to ask for blessings right these days so for sure do healings on the sabbath day and serve on the sabbath day we already talked about this though okay um something i'm noticing about this scripture though or this parable is that he never forgave her sins and usually it felt it feels or seems like that's what Christ does first and then he heals people so anyway just just something to think about about this woman and versus the other times that he's been healing people okay and then yeah I don't want to go off on a tangent I mean I could but just think about it. Okay, parable of the mustard seed. This is, what is this, continued? I think this is continued maybe. Or maybe, no, maybe this is, I don't remember. Anyways, 
let's let's just read it verse thir- uh, Luke 13 chapter or Luke chapter 13 verse 18 and 19 then said unto then said he unto what is the kingdom of God like and whereunto shall I resemble it Resem- re- yeah resemble it it is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and cast into his garden and it grew and waxed a great tree and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it another parable put for put he forth so now this is in matthew 13 31 32 and he says and another parable put for put he forth unto them saying the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed in the least of all seeds but when it is grown it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Okay, so to me, this means that, so a mustard seed is so tiny of a seed. And actually one of, I think one of our activities for primary, uh, when I was a primary teacher was putting the little mustard seed into this little jar that you could put on a necklace and it was so cute. But then when you see pictures of a mustard seed tree, it's huge and like i love springtime because you can see all the birds that are in the trees and they're like chirping and going and anyway i wish it was more springtime now but right now it feels like winter because it just snowed even yesterday anyway but it's march the end of march this is like the last week of march anyway so let's not complain about the weather we're gonna be fine um because we're going on a trip to sunny place anyway so focusing on this mustard seed tree so the tree it brings forth so much fruit that now other birds like birds can come and lodge in the in the branches so like your the fruit that you can create from just your mustard seed of faith can help so many other people that's how i see it um and that's what the lord wants for each one of us he wants us to be able to be that tree so that other people can find rest um in us just like people find rest in christ right and like i just i love that because it just kind of helps us um realize that we can still have a lot to produce that we can still even though we start super small we can produce a lot it's like that quote by small and simple things are great things brought to pass or that scripture i mean okay then we're going to have the parable of the leaven so many good parables in here okay so matthew 13 33 to 35 another parable spake unto them the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And in Luke thirteen twenty to 21, it says, And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal so the whole was leavened so um there's a 
some, a quote here from Joseph Smith's teachings, chapter 25. And the Jesus followed the parable of the mustard seed with an, another parable, the parable of leaven. And so leaven is yeast. And it's usually used in baking and added to the dough to help it rise. So like the small seed that will grow into a great plant, big tree, only a small amount of leaven is needed to impact the entire the entirety of the dough. So the kingdom of God, the church, is likened unto a woman who is baking bread. She only needs to add a small amount of leaven, which she hid in three measures of meal, which would leaven the entire amount of dough. So Joseph Smith explained that three that the three measures represent the testimonies of the three witnesses. And this is kind of fun. So he says, quote, And another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. It may be understood that the church of the Latter-day Saints has taken its rise from a little leaven that was put into three witnesses. Behold, how much this is like the parable. It is fast leavening the lump and will soon leaven the whole. Mm. That's awesome. Okay, the parable of the treasure hid in a field. Matthew 13, 44. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The, the which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Then here's the parable of the pearl of great price. And again, so this is like right after. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So, searches for the gospel and recognize it when he, when he finds it. Something that I loved that the talking scripture shared was that some, you know, pearls kind of come in like a box sometimes. And sometimes we can be distracted by the box so much because the box looks so cool or, or we're focusing on making the box so cool because the pearl inside is amazing. And so we really, you know, we're trying to make it really like presentation, you know, all the details, but that we need not be distracted by the box because the pearl is what is the most important. And sometimes we get distracted by the box box is so shiny it's so pretty it's so nice it's so big it's so you know whatever and we need not let it distract us from the pearl so it's kind of like our like you could liken that to your priorities right what where are your priorities are you focusing on the right thing or or are you focusing on the outward appearance of things Okay, the parable of the net in the sea. Again, the kingdom of, oh, uh, Matthew 30, 13, 47 to 50. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So the vision of the righteous and the wicked. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So again, this is like the wheat and the tares. Don't worry, 
about all the fish that are coming into the net, right? And the whole net is gonna grab everybody. It's supposed to grab as many people as possible, as many fish. And then later is when the division will come. So don't worry about it, okay? We don't have to do it ourselves. We're the fish, we're not the, well, sometimes we are the fishers, right? Because it says we're the fishers of men, but, <laughs> For this parable, he's trying to tell us that we are the fish. So, um, President Ezra Taft Benson said this about the net in the sea. He said, the Lord distinguishes between the church and its members. He said he was well pleased with the restored church speaking collectively, but not individually. During his ministry on earth, the Lord spoke of the gospel net drawing in fish. The good fish, he said, were gathered into vessels while the bad fish were cast away. It is important to realize that while the church is made up of mortals, no mortal is the church. Judas, for a period of time, was a member of the church. In fact, one of its apostles. But the church was not Judas. So, yeah, let's remember that we are being gathered with other fish, right? And the only person who's allowed to cast us out or determine that we're going to go into a good vessel is the Lord. I mean, and us, because we're making choices towards being into a good vessel or being cast away. So what kind of fish are we going to be? Okay. Um, okay. And then have ye understood? So this is when, this is kind of like the end where uh, Christ is now going to ask people if they've understood things. Right? So Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. So their knowledge is like a treasury that can bring forth, uh, that they can bring forth and share, right? Whenever we learn something new. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. So I think he's trying to say like, hey, if you know how to write and stuff and you understood what I said, like now it's your job to share it, right? So, um, so we don't want it to like go away. We don't want to forget all the things. So we need to write those things down that we have recently acquired into our minds and into our hearts, right? How is the spirit talking to us? Let's make sure we write it down. That's how we treasure the Lord. That's how we show the Lord that we're treasuring his word and his promptings and his inspiration to us is by writing it down. Okay. So then he says, are few or many saved? Okay. So Luke 13, 22 to 30. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. They then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, strive to enter in all at the straight gate for many. I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When one, wait, when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door and you begin to stand without and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence and thou hast taught in our streets. So you're trying to prove association. But he shall say, I tell you, I know not, I know you not. Whence ye are, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. 
There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out and they shall come forth, come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. So these are the Gentiles, but not the Jews who reject him. And behold, there are, last, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. And so then Jesus laments over Jerusalem saying the same day there came certain of fair of the Pharisees saying unto him, get thee out and depart thence, depart hence for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, he said unto them, go ye and tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils and I do curses or <laughs> behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her, her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Woo! That's some stuff. So, it looked like Jesus was declaring that he would be able to continue his ministry because he was not yet in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the place that will kill prophets. And this is an ironic statement because prophets had indeed died outside of Jerusalem. But Jesus was highlighting the irony that the capital of his covenant people and the place that holds God's temple is the place that kills prophets and will ultimately kill the Messiah. Oh, man. Jesus' emotions and feelings are shown in verse 34 as he spoke, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Elder Maxwell explained that Jesus was not only speaking to those living in Jesus' day, but Elder Maxwell taught whosoever, quote, whosoever cons constituted the immediate audience, the day of that lamentation, they were, in a sense, stand-ins for earlier throngs. President J. Reuben Clark said, quote, the mention, and the mention of Jerusalem seemed to have awakened in his mind all that had gone before since the world was, particularly since Jerusalem was built. That was, uh, end quote, April 1947 conference report. So the message is Jesus' lament is how he deals with us. He is always willing, always waiting, and always hoping to gather us and to nurture us in. But it's our choice to come unto him or not. It's our choice to let him gather us. It's our choice if we want to help him with some of his gathering and some of the work that he has for us. I know that as we do that work for him, as we listen to those promptings and we heed his promptings, that he will bless us and we'll come closer to him. And, and that he doesn't give us promptings that are not for us. He uses our skills, our abilities, our experiences, our means, our, our character, everything. He knows everything about us to bring to pass much good in his kingdom, in the way that only we, in the way that he knows that only we can. 
And so what is that thing that you have been called to do that it is that you're not doing so that you can fill that void, that gap between what the Lord wants from you and what we are currently doing. Because we can feel that gap. Our, our, uh, our spirits can feel that gap. And, that, and we, our spirits yearn to close that gap as small as possible. We want to be close to Christ as much as possible. And I think that's why when we're doing those things that are aligned with his will, we, it just propels us and it drives us and it, it gives us strength and energy. And, um, and he just blesses us. So anyways, thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here with mom. I love you. And um, we'll see you soon.